So today's reading is in two parts, um, both in Mark. So the first one's Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 31, uh, which is on page 1005 in most of the church Bibles. Um, 1005, starting at chapter 3, verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers? he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And then the second passage is in chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 28, which is on 1015, 1015. Um, And starting at verse 28, Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or mother or or sister or brother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in that promise that Christ is with us. And we pray, Father, that as we listen to his words now, that, Father, you would speak to us through them by your Spirit. Please, Father, help us to understand what it means for the church to be a family. Please give us a sense of what that looks like today. And please, Father, encourage our hearts to live these words out. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was wondering um, if this evening we could start with a little bit of word association. You know the game where I say a word and you say the first thing that pops into your head? We're going to play that, but please don't shout out what pops into your head. It could be embarrassing. Um, I wonder, what's the first thing that pops into your head when I say the word family? Family. See, for many of us, we will picture mum, dad, 2.4 children, standing outside a semi-detached house with a Ford Mondeo on the drive. For others of us, I guess um, it brings back nice feelings. We remember when we were younger, those special moments at home, at birthdays, Christmas, and that kind of warm feeling we had with our families. But I guess for lots of us, the word family brings up with it mixed emotions. Perhaps we desired a family, and for whatever reason, we've not had the family we would have hoped for. Or family life for us has not worked out as we would have planned. And as we think of the word family, it is not that comfortable to think of. See, the way we tend to think of the word family and what we associate with it makes the theme of our sermon this evening a bit of a challenge, because this evening we're going to be considering what it means for the church to be family. Now, on your notice sheets, you'll see that I was going to discuss the family and the fact that the church is the bride of Christ, but as I worked through this, I realized I had a series of about 10 sermons And uh, because you'd like to get to bed this evening, I decided to just go for church as family. 
We are in a series of talks on uh, metaphors for the church, and last week we looked at the agricultural metaphor, uh, the vine, and this week, uh, as I say, we're looking at the family. Now, here's the challenge. When we hear the word family, what we're not to do is just insert our 21st century idea of family, whether it's good or bad. We need to look at what the scriptures teach us about family. And we're to see how the church is similar to that type of family or how it's different. And that's uh, what we're going to do this evening. And I've got to say, as I've prepared this myself, it is very different uh, to what I first imagined. Now, uh, the outline on the back of your handouts will show us where we're going. Um, Basically, the first point is what's said about the church being family. The second point is what that looks like. And then the third point is how do we get there? First of all, what does the Bible say about church and family? See, I think if you ask a lot of people, a lot of people imagine that the Bible is unequivocally supported of traditional family values, inverted commas. They imagine that the Bible just supports the mum, dad, 2.4 children as the kind of good life. But actually, what the Bible says about the family is actually countercultural. It was back when Jesus uh, spoke, and it is today. And to see this, I want us to focus in on Mark chapter 3. Have a look at, back at uh, page 1005, and uh, we'll have a look uh, together. See, here Jesus teaches on the family. And uh, just to give you a bit of context, Jesus is in a house, he's teaching away, and uh, there's a big crowd around him, and his mothers and uh, brothers come to him, and because there's a crowd uh, around the house, they have to send a message Uh, for him. This is before text or direct messaging. And uh, the the message goes to Jesus. And um, it's worth just seeing, though, that this isn't a kind of innocent message to Jesus. This isn't them saying, come on, Jesus, we've had enough. Uh, We're going home for dinner. Actually, at this point, there's a bit of a dark undertone here. See, look up to verse 21 of chapter 3. It talks about Jesus's ministry in verse 20. And in verse 21, When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. See, they look at Jesus, they look at what he's doing, and they think he's gone too far. Now, it's worth saying, we probably know this already, but in the first century, your family was your identity. It was the place Uh, to uh, receive your livelihood. If you wanted to be part of a society, you were part of a family. And if you were to be out of that family, it meant losing your identity. No one would dream going against your family. But look at what Jesus does. Verse 33 of chapter 3. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him, and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You see what Jesus is doing? He, he receives this call from his family, and then he turns around those around him, and he says, Here are my mothers and brothers and sisters. It's not the biological family that's standing on the outside. It's those who do the will of God. It's those who are the church family. Now, just in case, as readers, we think, have we misunderstood Jesus, just notice how Mark arranges the material. Twice he tells us that his family is on the outside. Verse 31, 
we're told um, they're standing outside, verse 32. The the, the message is given, your mother and brothers are outside. And those listening to Jesus are on the inside. Now, this is Mark's little kind of device for um, showing who's in and who's out. See, to be on the inside is to be in God's kingdom. To be on the outside is to not. And so you see what Mark is doing. He's saying even Jesus' family at this stage is with those outside the kingdom. Those who are more part of Jesus' family are those who listen and do the will of God. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's redefining the family. See, the first century family were those you were related to biologically or related to by law. And Jesus says, no, it is those who do the will of God who are connected to him. And of course, you see this pattern worked out across the New Testament. Um, On your handouts, I've given you a couple of Bible verses. You'll see there in 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says this, if I'm delayed, Paul, uh, a writer uh, in the New Testament, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Do you see the point? God's household, God's family is the church of the living God. See, um, when I become a Christian, it doesn't just kind of affect the vertical. My relationship with God uh, gets sorted out, but it's not just that that it touches. It affects the horizontal as well. The moment we come to Jesus is the moment we become part of a new family with God as our Father and each other as brothers and sisters. Now, does this mean Jesus is against the nuclear family? Well, no. As Jesus dies, he, even on the cross, provides for his mother. He is more loyal to his biological family than any of us have ever been. Is Jesus promoting some sort of dishonor to his parents? Well, no. Later in Mark's gospel, he will tackle the Pharisees for that very point. He says, you, you live religiously, but you're dishonoring, you're breaking the fifth commandment. See, Jesus loves his family, but he's showing us that the most significant family are not those you share your DNA with or those you have said your wedding vows to, but being part of God's family. I don't know about you, but often I think we hear the idea of church family and we, we might think it's a bit of um, clever PR, as one author put it. You know, um, my, my firm used to do this. When businesses want to kind of get their employees whipped up a little bit. They kind of rebrand uh, their employees, not as employees, but as a team or a family. Uh, welcome to our, uh, the Costa family or Starbucks family, that kind of idea. I've no idea if they are called families, uh, so don't correct me afterwards. But you, you get the point. And, and we can think that the, calling the church a family is just another bit of clever marketing to kind of get us to pull together a bit and stop arguing. But this metaphor isn't just a metaphor. It's not just some clever bit of PR. It is the reality. See, notice that Jesus doesn't say, look, those around me are like a brother or like a sister or like a mother. He says they are my brothers and sisters and mothers. And you see the the point, doesn't he? He's contrasting against his biological family to say this is a real family. Yes, you might say, the church I see is my family, but surely God's emphasis has got to be on the nuclear family. But notice what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 3. 
where does he put the emphasis? See, the right thing to do for a good Jewish boy with your family calling you to come back is to go. But Jesus doesn't. He says, this is my family, those who do the will of God. Uh, John Piper, the um, uh, uh, church minister, uh, he kind of comes at this question a different way and he, he reminds us of what lasts into eternity. See, a lot of us, I guess, put our focus on the here and now and the nuclear family. But John Piper says this. He says, marriage and family are temporary for this age. The church is forever. I am declaring the radical biblical truth that being in a human family is no sign of eternal blessing. But being in God's family means being eternally blessed. Relationships based on family are temporary. Relationships based on union with Christ are eternal. Now, John Piper's not disregarding the family. He's argued for the family uh, more than most of us. And of course, Jesus isn't suggesting anything like that. But he is saying that we're to think of the church as a genuine family. See, if you're Christian, you're part of God's eternal family. It doesn't matter whether you're single doesn't matter whether you're widowed or divorced, you have a family. You have a real father in God himself, and you have real brothers and sisters. Now, some of us do have the 2.4 children, the husband or wife, and the Ford Mondeo, but your family is not the totality of your identity. You're part of a bigger family. And perhaps for some of us who haven't had that kind of model family, Perhaps uh, those of us who have remained single, those of us who have uh, not had a parent in our lives through death or division or for whatever reason, perhaps we've had no, uh, we haven't had the family we would have hoped for. We are part of God's family. Perhaps for some of us, we've had the biological ties to a family, but not the emotional ones. Or perhaps this time of year, we feel what some people call the empty nest syndrome. I know for some of us, your children uh, have left home uh, in the last week or so, or you're um, looking to them uh, leaving uh, this week or so. And there will be a bit of you, I'm sure, that feels the pull of that. Feels like your family is being broken up. But here, you're still part of an eternal family. It's not a bit of clever PR. It's not just for those feeling lonely. It is a genuine, God-given family. So um, that's a bit on what Jesus teaches about the family. But what does it look like? Well, I want us to turn over a couple of pages to chapter 10. And uh, here we get a bit of a feeling uh, for this family in action. It's on page 1015. Now this bit, it comes after the uh, camel and the eye through the needle bit, um, quite famous bit, um, classic Sunday school material. Um, but Jesus teaches after that bit um, on the family. And um, it sounds from what Jesus is saying that uh, it's impossible to enter the kingdom. It's easier for a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Peter, his disciple, wonders whether it's all worth it. Look at verse 28. Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. Now, what Jesus says here is surprising. It's not as I first expected. See, up to this point, if you know Mark, um, 
Jesus has been saying, look to the future. See, if you lose your life now, you will gain it in the future. If you take up your cross now, if you die, you will be rewarded in the future. And you expect Jesus at this point, when Peter says, look, it's really hard, you expect Jesus to say, look to the future. You will gain your life uh, in what's to come. But look at what he does say, verse 29. It's not that. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Yes, eternal life in the age to come. But now you will get houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. A hundredfold, he says, now. Jesus is not saying life will be a breeze. Far from it. He says it will come with persecutions. But he's saying there is huge benefit to being a Christian now. But what is that benefit? It is the church. It's the church family. See, Jesus had the whole of creation at his disposal. He could have given you anything to keep you going as a Christian. He could have given you six figures in the bank account so you'll never have to ask anyone for any money or work again. He could have given you perfect health so you'll never have to struggle. He could have given you constant spiritual highs and experiences so you would always feel assured. But what does he give us? He gives us each other. Someone put it this way. This is the genuine prosperity gospel. Not anything crass like health and wealth now, but it's becoming part of a new family. See, for lots of us, I know from talking to us, we find the Christian life hard. I know for lots of us, being a Christian has meant losing relationships, even our families, that are very special to us. And I love the fact Jesus doesn't dismiss those struggles. He recognizes them, but he has done something about it. He's given us a church family. Now, the way Jesus describes this church isn't a kind of consolation prize. It isn't a kind of family light. He calls the church brothers and sisters and mothers and children. See, notice that. Jesus doesn't just give us friends, does he? He doesn't just give us kind of aunties and uncles. Um, I don't know if you had this when you were growing up. Everyone was an auntie and uncle. I couldn't work out who was my real auntie and uncle. Still don't know, to be honest. Um, Jesus could have done that, and it would have been a very nice image, wouldn't it? But actually, he gets much more personal than that, and much more intimate. He goes for brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. It is a real family. It's meant to live as a real family. I wonder if you see the church family that way, as a gift. It's easy, isn't it, to kind of show our best side at church, And uh, there can be the temptation that uh, if we face problems, I hear this, that the last place we want to bring them is the church. I mean, some of us may have had this experience. I was brought up in a proud working class town and the idea, the ideal life was to be self-sufficient. You weren't to be a sponger. You weren't to live off anyone else. And so you kind of get this picture that you've got to go it alone. But Jesus never designed the Christian life that way. We're not meant to be lone rangers. We are in a family, and we need each other. I wonder, do you see yourself in that way? Do you see yourself as a gift to others? 
There will be times where you find being part of a church, coming on Sundays, coming midweek, difficult. Netflix and the duvet will seem more appealing on more than one occasion. But the church is more than about you and what you're going to get out of it. You may not think it matters whether you're there or whether you're connected to people, but it does matter to others. Your word, your support, your hand on the shoulder could be the very means that God uses to keep another Christian going another week. Now, it would be very tempting for me to kind of, at this point, set out a shopping list of things we're meant to do, the 10 steps to be in a church family. But uh, I hope you can see that that kind of doesn't fit with this, does it? Because church family isn't something we do. It's not some activity. It's not some checklist. We are a church family. And I'd rather us, rather than focusing on the checklist of stuff, to get clearly in our minds who we are. To start, rather, with the who before we get to the what. Because once we grasp that, once we grasp our identity, it will transform how we are with others. Let, let me give you an example. Twelve years ago, uh, I know I don't look old enough, twelve years ago I got married, and um, I joined a new family. And when I joined that new family, my wife's family, I didn't think, oh, I need a checklist of how I'm to relate to that family. And I'm pretty sure they didn't draw up a checklist of uh, how to treat me. We just became two families. Now, when I go to my in-laws, they're so comfortable with me now, they don't even give me a welcome. Now, I'm pretty sure (laughs) it might be they don't like me, and that is a possibility. But I'm pretty sure it's because they just see me as Rob. They do welcome the grandchildren, to be fair. I probably don't matter. But um, (laughs) the point is, they're so comfortable with me being part of their family. I can just waltz in, honestly, go straight to the cake tin. I know exactly where it is. Open the fridge, sit down in front of the telly, and I don't have to ask permission. And I guess Jesus is saying, church is more that image than something we do. Now, I'm really grateful, eternally grateful, for people who did that with me as a young Christian. I was um, in London, I became a Christian, I moved to London, I started a new job, I was in a new place, and my mind was kind of fried. And I, I remember a church, a church, a couple invited me into their home. Now, one of the, this couple were, were um, 30 years old, and I remember thinking, they are ancient. Imagine being 30. But now I've experienced that well and truly. So, um, But what I found remarkable about them is not that I got invited to their home. I mean, I've been to dinner parties and invited to parties and things like that before. It was the fact that I was invited into their normal, everyday life. I was working around the corner and they said, pop in after work and I would just sit on the sofa and have a tea and have a chat. Sometimes I would do a routine, bedtime routine with their children. And uh, it was just everyday family life. And I remember feeling... I'm being treated in a very different way as a brother and a sister. Um, The uh, church minister, Ed Shaw, has written this book, The Plausibility Problem. Uh, It's an excellent book, and I I really recommend it, and one of the chapters has been particularly helpful on this. Now, Ed is um, someone who would uh, describe himself as struggling with same-sex attraction, and he, he says that in all likelihood he will be single Uh, for his life. And a a lot of people respond to him and say, well, Ed, doesn't that mean that you're missing out on family? Don't you miss the thought that you could have children and uh, a husband, a wife at home? And Ed points out, using this passage, that he has a family. And the examples he gives are very, what we would call trivial, 
but they're really heartwarming. He speaks about the chance to phone someone up at 10 p.m. at night. We're not normally allowed to phone after 9, are we? That's the unwritten rule, but he can. He talks about a couple who he can just go around their house, sit on the sofa, and chat. He talks about a very special moment where he cries, watching Mary Poppins with people's kids and uh, reading to their children. And he says that is his family. And that's what Jesus is showing here. I know there are lots of examples of this at St. Mary's, stuff that makes my heart warm. Lots of unseen acts, people showing themselves to be brothers and sisters. People opening their homes, doing the shopping, stopping for a chat, visiting in hospital, taking others on holidays. Lots of us live this out, and it has been great to hear. But I don't know about you, it is a real challenge sometimes to hear who we are. A lot of us uh, with families um, feel pressured already. There's the school run, there's the church, there's the children's groups, there's the swimming lessons, there's the violin lessons, there's the gymnastics, there's the mixed martial arts, there's the cage fighting classes, and the list goes on. And at the end of it, we kind of want to retreat to our cave, flop on the sofa, and veg out. But if my time is swallowed up with all the activity around my immediate family. I wonder how much have I understood that I'm part of another family. And perhaps those of us without families in the way I've described there can think that um, we, we can't intrude on other families. We think uh, families won't want us there. They've got enough to do. We don't want to impose ourselves. But let me say, speaking as a father of two and uh, barely on the edge of coping, I love people imposing themselves on me. I love it. Uh, when people come round and take the kids off my hands for half an hour. It's great. No, sorry, that's... It's an unthink... Yeah, you're not... Yeah, you're brothers and sisters, not babysitters. But you get the points. Do impose yourself. There's a great... Um, uh, there's, a, there's a Christian who speaks in the second century, uh, a guy called Mycilius Felix. There's some great names in the second century. And uh, he's um, responding to, to some of the critiques of Christianity. And uh, he talks about someone, one of his opponents, and uh, he, he describes what his opponent says, and he says this. This is the opponent speaking about Christians. They love one another almost before they know one another. They call one another brothers and sisters. It's a remarkable critique, isn't it? And I was just thinking, what would be the impact on our town, our region, our world, if the church here and further afield, was known for the way we just love one another and call each other brothers and sisters when we hardly know each other. Thirdly, and finally, and our shorter point, I I want us to finish by thinking, how do we get here? Because um, it could be for some of us that we hear this and we just feel pretty burdened. We think, here's another thing to do, and I know I've not lived up to this. Or perhaps we still feel that we don't really need to do this. Our calendar's pretty packed, and we don't feel the inclination to reflect this family. But I want us to finish by seeing what drives us to live out this identity. Have a look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2. You don't need to turn to it. Uh, It's on your handouts, but uh, if you do want to turn to it, it is on a page of the Bible, which I'm going to give you in a moment. Uh, 1174. See, here... Paul is speaking to the church and he's reminding Christians of where they've come from. And he says in verse 12, remember 
that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God. You're excluded from Christ and you're without God. So you hear a lot of chat, don't you, of broken families in our society and people attributing certain social problems to broken homes. But the truth is, all of us belong to a broken home. All of us are part of Adam's fallen family. Paul says we're cut off, excluded from God. We find ourselves in the spiritual orphanage. But look how God has acted on your sheets. In this one body, that's Christ to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. See, none of us deserve to be in God's family. None of us deserve to call him as father. None of us deserve to be part of his household. And through no initiative of our own, no inkling of our own hearts, no intentions of our minds, God has made us part of his family through the death of his son, by the work of his spirit. We are part of a family not just now, but a family that will reach out into eternity, made of all generations, all peoples, all tribes, from every nation. See, the reason we live as God's family, as church family, is not to join God's family, it's not to prove ourselves as legitimate children, as members of his family. It is a response to God having already made us into a family. We deserve to be on the outside. We deserve to be left in the dark, in the cold, but God has come out of his home, given us the keys to his own house, and made us part of the grandest family the world has ever seen. It is, isn't it, hard to be church family. Sometimes we will feel the pressure from our culture to kind of focus on the the nuclear family and work for the perfect home, the perfect family car, making the children the perfect swimmer, gymnast, violin player, insert activity here. Or we will feel the pressure to keep our own time private to close our front doors, draw the curtains. Or like any family, we will rub each other up the wrong way and we will be tempted to withdraw. But God didn't treat us in that way. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit were in a perfect family, completely satisfied. But God the Son came out into our world to choose to be cut off from the Father. And God the Spirit came into our hearts to cause us to cry, Abba, Father. We've heard the church is a God-made family. Uh, The church is a genuine family. The church is a gospel-shaped family. Now the question is, how do we as St. Mary's live out that identity? And I've got to say, for me, reflecting on this, it has been deeply challenging. I I went home to Claire last week and I asked her, do we even begin to reflect this? And I guess that's a question we should all ask ourselves, isn't it? What does it look like to be family? What does it look like to use our time as family? What does it look like to use our home as a family? What does it look like to use our money as a family? They would be good questions to ask one another, ask our brothers and sisters 
uh, as we drink coffee together. And it's as I look to what God has done to make us part of that family that I am driven to live it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you so much that we are now in your household. We thank you, Father, for the work of Jesus reconciling us to yourself. We thank you for your Spirit's work in enlightening our eyes to see the glorious gospel. And we long, Father, for his work in making us the family we are. Please encourage us, Father, if we're doing this work quietly and unseen. Please, Father, encourage those of us who find family a difficult subject to think on. And please help us all, Father, to live with joy as the family you've made us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.